Hey, this is Harry, and you're listening to The Lit Podcast, a show where we speak with New York City event hosts and their stories. This week, I'm speaking with Miguel Molina, a UX professional about his work in the industry. Welcome. Hey, Harry. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I appreciate you hosting this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you were able to make the time. So could you tell me a little bit more about what you... So we're going to get to the event that you that you host, but maybe tell me a little bit more about your background and kind of like how the, the whole story before you started working at General Assembly. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a designer, uh, an instructor and an entrepreneur. So uh, really everything goes all the way back to uh, high school where I took this really random JavaScript class where, uh, to be honest with you, I didn't learn any bit of JavaScript, but they taught us the basics of building a website. And from that point on, I was really just obsessed with all things design and web and technology. And uh, I became really fascinated by tech in general. Um, so from there, I studied computer science. I studied human computer interaction. So I've been really deep in this space of computers, you know, human uh, the operation and design, uh, a little bit of psychology. So um, that background led me to user experience design and uh, working in UX so long uh, led me to teaching it uh, at General Assembly. So uh, for those that are listening and are not too familiar with GA, uh, GA is a, a boot camp. So for people who want to learn things like user experience design or front-end development or digital marketing, uh, project management, uh, things like that. Uh, you can go to a boot camp like program, like General Assembly. There's others as well. Um, but the uh, GA specific one, uh, the way that they do it is they have uh, full-time or part-time 10-week boot camps. So specifically, I teach the 10-week part-time boot camp for user experience design. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that for over a year now. I've been uh, doing UX for over five years now, and I've been contributing to the web by building digital products for over, I think, eight years now. So some time in this space, but uh, I'm super excited to continue teaching um, and uh, continue to adapt to these really crazy uh, times that we're all living in for for audience members that maybe are not in the like technology industry could you explain what ux means and why why is that like useful what's that for for sure yeah that's a, a great place to start uh i should have mentioned that myself so ux uh specifically is relatively new but the idea of designing of designing uh, software is not so uh, and when I say new, I mean in the mainstream. Uh, so the, the place that I usually go to to start explaining this is uh, by using the example of your phone. So we all have a phone. We all use websites, for example, but let's say the phone specifically. So everyone has a phone in their pocket and everyone has apps that they use on their phone, right? So uh, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's this or that. It doesn't matter. Um, all of those apps um, were built by someone. And I feel like that's where everyone's mind goes uh, at first. So um, you think about who made the app in terms of code. 
but there's a whole other side of to making an app or making a, a digital product that people don't uh, think about or assume as uh, naturally. And that is the design part of it. So before a developer gets into uh, writing the code to bring that app to life, there is a group of people that uh, get together and design everything from the features to the functionality, to the look and feel, to the operation from beginning to end. So every single crevice of every single app or website or digital experience is thought out by user experience practitioners. Um, so the people that, like I said, focus on the features, the functionality, look and feel, et cetera, et cetera. But um, this is something that happens before any code is even written. And so that yeah. is- I was going to say that I, I think most people's conception of like how technology works or like how an app is made is that like from the social network, like Facebook's the social network and they just imagine that Zuckerberg just, or someone like Zuckerberg just like makes an app one day and, and, and that's what programming is, but it's actually quite, it's, it's often not the case. It's often, if you want something that's like, well-designed like Instagram, they have like a really like world-class UX people and they work together with like someone that's like a programmer. It's funny you bring that up about the social network because those are the type of things that people think about when they're trying to connect back to building digital products, whether it's a website or an app and the social network being one of the the biggest examples. Um, And by the way, that's one of my favorite movies too. Um, But uh, typical. Exactly. Uh, no surprise there. But um, uh, to be honest with you, like that is a great example because um, it quickly just highlighted how he was in his dorm room and just wrote a bunch of code and then poof, like there, uh, you know, Facebook was born and the UI came out of nowhere. But um, like you said, uh, right before that, there is a huge part of the process where there's a group of people that is thinking through every single corner of the you know, potential interface. And um, like you said, if you want to build something that's of high quality, this is a step that you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, focusing on. So even going back to like a website and away from an app example, um, even a website, anyone can build a website, anyone can think about how a website can look like. But um, if we want to build something that's going to make people really uh, appreciate that experience, have a pleasant experience and potentially get them to keep coming back we, we want to spend a lot of time focusing on you know the quality of the experience and the flow from beginning to end okay so you studied hci computer human computer interaction in university and you've been teaching at general assembly the uh, user experience uh, course ux course did you teach that pre-COVID and how has COVID and the need to social distance affected, how has that affected your, the way you teach this, this class? For sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I started teaching early uh, 2019 and uh, I was really excited to teach because I, um, I've always wanted to teach UX because I felt that UX should be taught differently. And so teaching in person allowed me to really, you know, go through with that. So what I mean by that is UX is entirely about uh, focusing on 
the user and, and that user's experience and, you know, uh, providing a relevant experience to that person. And so I felt that teaching UX should reflect those principles. So it shouldn't be just a mundane classroom experience. It should be something that's exciting uh, and that reflects the excitement of, of the industry. So um, that's really how I went into teaching. And that was my ethos going into, you know, going in front of the classroom. And so teaching in person really allowed me to uh, bring that class, that idea in the classroom to life or those ideas in the classroom to life. And so I would do things like you know, really crazy things like, you know, uh, bring wine in the classroom, which, you know, probably shouldn't be saying that or like bring tacos in the classroom or, you know, just do fun things that makes it seem that make it make the classroom seem less like a rigid experience and make it seem fun and exciting and, you know, show by doing not just teach by explaining definitions that may or may not stick with the students. So um, so that has been my entire perspective, uh, in front of the classroom. And so when we had to, I say all of that to say that when we had to pivot to online, I was like, oh man, how am I going to, how am I going to reflect those ideals in a virtual setting? I, you know, the energy, uh, from a human to human perspective isn't there anymore. Um, we can't connect, uh, as we would in person. How am I going to do that? And so... Uh, we, GA, uh, decided to continue providing our classes, but except we would do them online. And so I was pretty nervous at first, but um, I ended up spending a lot of time thinking about how we could replicate as best as we could that energy and that excitement and that vibe uh, that, you know, I was trying to produce in person online. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, you know, soon, but um, it's turned out to be way better than um, I thought it was going to be. Um, I was very apprehensive going into it. Um, but yeah, COVID has for sure, uh, you know, switched things up for me, for us, uh, from going in person to now online. And even for the students, uh, some of my students from my last class, they signed up for an in-person class. And we were like, just kidding. Now we have to, you know, do this online and it's not our fault, it's not their fault, but it's definitely, you know, an adjustment, but, um, it has yeah. to be better than I thought. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of, I don't want to say fiasco, a lot of controversy about like people, students at, at higher education, institutions and the the cost of that right so if they're spending thirty thousand dollars it's been very hard for the for the universities to adjust because they have to somehow convince people in the short term that yes they should continue paying thirty thousand dollars for what is a virtual experience but then they're going to have to go backtrack on that in about two or three years when when there's no longer such an issue with with uh with coronavirus they'll have to kind of backtrack and say, okay, so like now the, the in-person experience, college experience is still worth thirty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000. That's, uh, that's something that they are going to have to deal with. General Assembly is, is not quite as, as expensive from what I understand than something like a, like a Harvard or what have you. Um, has, has there been that sort of sense that yes, we need to adapt to virtual events, but then how how are we going to justify the cost in the future? Has there been any discussions about that? 
that's that's a good point that you bring that up. And 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 before I answer your question directly, uh, I would say that I think that's the inherent uh, value proposition uh, that a GA brings, right? So you know, it's a focused curriculum on something that you want to learn about, um, and uh, and and it's not as costly as you know that other commitment might be. Uh, however, I do think that you know there is the question of you know, the kind of experience that you are paying for and the kind of experience that you expected to have. And so the situation has made that, you know, something that we have to adapt to. And it's no longer the case. You may have paid for an in-person experience and now you're getting an online one, right? But um, I haven't been part of any specific conversations at the leadership level. Um, but at the instructor level, I can tell you that uh, my students, um, you know, they, they obviously would have preferred, I can say, uh, being taught in person, but I really think it it depends on the commitment of the instructor or in general of the event host. So it is totally possible to uh, have the same energy. You may not be able to replicate it 100%, but you can bring elements of in-person energies in a virtual setting. Um, and Yeah, I'd love to, like you mentioned that when your your philosophy as a teacher, it sounded like for the in-person classes, you were trying to keep it fun with uh, bringing tacos in and bringing wine in. Can you say, can you maybe share something uh, concrete that you have tried to incorporate into the virtual class that is to keep it fun like this? Absolutely. So, I mean, it's obviously impossible for me to bring in tacos in a virtual classroom, right? So something is impossible, um, which is fine. You can uh, use an emoji. You can use an emoji or I can like get everyone's address and uh, seamless them uh, a taco delivery uh, to their door, but that would probably be very expensive for me. Um, but uh, aside from sending an emoji, yeah, we, we, we do fun things. So I think in a classroom setting, the most important thing you can do is to get people involved in the conversation. So what I see a lot of current instructors doing online is they're just talking um, for 30 or 45 or 60 minutes or two hours if it's a two hour lecture to their students and they're not bringing those students as a part, a part of the conversation. Maybe you can think back to you when you were in school, you know, the more engaging classes are the ones where you're participating in the class even if you have nothing to participate uh from the standpoint of you don't understand the material i'm not referring to that but the classroom where the classes where it was a conversation and the instructor brought you in those were the more interesting ones right so in a classroom setting more so if you're just talking at somebody for 60 or 90 or 120 minutes you're going to lose them um they have other things in their zoom they can open up that messaging window and they can maybe you know text people. If you want to keep people engaged, you need to bring them in. So it can be very simple things like I will ask people to contribute to the conversation uh, or we will utilize breakout rooms, uh, the Zoom feature where you can break people out into smaller groups. I don't think enough people are utilizing that. Or it could be more, um, you know, experimental things like um, we, after a couple of our classes, we had a, a happy hour where we sort of you know, got outside of that classroom setting and made it a little bit more dynamic and more relaxed and more casual. Um, but it could also be things like, you know, I asked my students to work on a project together in a breakout room and then they'll come back out and present. And so 
that is very, very similar from having my students, you know, getting groups and chairs in person and then presenting as a group. So just getting them not only talking to me in the classroom, but getting them talking to each other as much as that, you know, socializing vibe is it possible that I can instill or keep um, in, in, in the classroom setting, regardless if it's virtual or not, I think is the key there. Um, and it has been pretty successful for me. Yeah. Well, that sounds really, really exciting. The, we wanted to touch on another, another one of your projects. So you have this other project called UX Come Up. Can you tell me more about what that is and why, why might someone be interested in uh, attending UX Come Up? Yeah, so you, you asked a good question earlier, right? You were like, well, what is UX first of all? So uh, if you are you know, somebody who has that question in mind, so you're curious about UX, or if you know you are interested in UX and you're actually wanting to learn UX, or if you're just looking to come up in your you know, current UX career, um, that is what this community is for. So the UX come up um, is basically a community where we're speaking to all three of those audiences, offering as much UX content as possible, whether that's by our Instagram account or whether that's by our meetup group where we're hosting events. So similar to what I was talking about with GA, um, we were hosting events in person. Um, in fact, the event right before all of this started to happen, sorry in advance for the sirens, um, it it's was- fine. It's New York City. Exactly. Uh, if you want to have an event in New York City, you're going to have to uh, you know, here. Um, so uh, we had our, our most successful in-person event right before all of this happened. And we were so excited to keep that momentum going. We were like, great, 100 plus people. The next one might be 200. Eventually we'll have an event that's 500. And then the universe has a different plan, right? So um, the good thing though about uh, hosting events in NYC or just virtually is that people are still really down to attend these things. There's still that appetite, not just to socialize, but to attend something. Um, that energy is still there. So we quickly pivoted our strategy to virtual and uh, we were super shocked at how many people we were able to get in our virtual event. Um, so now UXCU is more so you know, a community, but we are now more so focused on uh, putting on virtual events to help people understand UX design, how people, you know, grow in UX design and also connect with each other. Again, uh, making sure that sense of community is there as much as possible. So UX come up, UXCU, how, what's the commitment here? So my understanding is that with General Assembly, you kind of have to get a couple of thousand dollars to, and like a couple of months to do, correct me if I'm wrong, to do General Assembly. Is that the same case with uh, UX come up? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. So um, first of all, uh, I just want to say, because I forgot to say this at the beginning, but the UX come up, the name comes from, I don't know if you listen to hip hop or J. Cole at all, um, but a little he, bit. he has a- J. Cole's a, from uh, Queens? I know he went to John Hopkins, was it? He went to St. John's. St. John's, one of those. Yeah. <laughs> You, you knew the, the, the basics of it, though. He was in Queens. Um, yeah. So you made, you made that connection. But uh, he has a mixtape series called, uh, not, it's not, it doesn't have a name, but the first mixtape in that series was The Come Up and, or The Warm Up, and then it was The Come Up. Um, so I was like, oh, UX Come Up, that sounds cool. Um, 
But anyway. he was he was uh, he was pushing Dreamville. Uh, that was a good album. Yeah, the Dreamville album was was really good. I want him to drop some new heat really soon. Um, yeah, I'm definitely waiting on that. But uh, yeah, so was- UX Come Up, you're you're a fan. Uh, you named uh, the namesake of UX Come Up is a J Cole song. Yeah, so it's a reference to his mixtape. So. Uh, the, uh, which was the come up. So his come up, right? So I was like, oh, cool. Like, you know, it's speaking to our target audience, those that are coming up in UX. So there's no commitment here. You can attend as many events as you want. They're all free, or you could not attend any of them and you can just follow us on social or be in our Slack community. So that's another, I think, tip that I, that I always share with people is if you have any type of community online, whether you are hosting virtual events and you're pivoting to this new world, because of COVID, um, open up a workspace on Slack. So go to slack.com, make an account, make your own workspace and invite all your people, uh, all the people that are in your community into that workspace. So they have like a shared, you know, chat network um, so that they can connect with each other because the stronger that the connections of your community members amongst themselves are, the stronger your community is in general and the more popping your virtual events will be. Um, but yeah, there's no commitment, um, as much commitment as you want to have. Um, uh, we're going to continue posting events every week or two, um, that has been our cadence. And, uh, if people make it, that's great. Um, some people make all of them. Some people make only one of them, uh, every now and then, but, uh, we just hope to be able to put as many of these events on as possible and provide as much value because, uh, you know, there's time and people want the content, you know? So it sounds like I actually haven't attended one of your UX come up events. It sounds like it's uh you host, you organize it through meetup.com and you can kind of like drop in. So it's not there. Each one seems like self-contained. Um, and what was I going to ask? And, Oh, what's the cost? What's the cost for these meetups for the UX come up meetups? Yeah. So it's all done through meetup.com. So uh, so far it has really served its purpose for us. I know that some people use Eventbrite, some people, you know, don't use either of them and they use, may use another platform, but for us, the meetup.com platform has really served its purpose. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I like about meetup.com is that, and I don't know if Eventbrite could do this, maybe it, it can, so it has nothing to do with being specific to meetup at that point, but, um, you can ask people questions before they join your meetup group which for us has been a really great information gateway to get our NOAA audience. So like we'll ask people when they join, uh, where are you in your UX journey or how did you hear about us? You know? Um, But if you fill out that little survey to join the UX meetup, um, $0, free 99, special forever. Um, We, we, we find that um, there should be no barrier to entry to these, you know, virtual communities. And um, if there's space to make some sort of ROI, you know, later on, I think, um, I think that's great. But uh, my recommendation would always be to have it be, you know, uh, the, the lowest barrier to entry as possible to grow that community first and foremost. Okay, I mean, that's really exciting. So if people are curious about maybe transitioning to UX as a career, they should definitely come to these one of one of these free, uh, like, what do you have to lose? Uh, no money. Mm, 
these free virtual events to find out more about what, what, what is UX? What is like the day to day? They could probably ask you like, what is it like to work as a UX person? Um, and, and you sort of use meetup.com to elicit feedback from, from the people. So you can be a little bit more data driven. And you're also suggesting that people join the, the Slack. And I think that's something that some of our audience may not be aware of. Uh, I know that when I talk to some people outside of, first of all, A, if they even know what Slack is, because that's still a fairly uh, recent development. So Slack is like a, a team chat for, that certain companies use. And then B, some people are aware of Slack, but they are not aware of all the different communities other than their job. Right. So a lot of people get really mind blown when I tell them, I ask them, oh, are you part of this Slack or that Slack? And they're like, what do you mean? I just use it at work. So a lot of people, that's like the, the other thing to be aware of is that you can use Slack for non-work. You can use Slack for, as you said, Miguel, you can, if you have like a hobby or some sort of community you're trying to build up, you can use Slack to engage with them more. Uh, have you ever looked at Discord? Because like Discord is something that's on my radar. I've, I've recently started uh, f- experimenting with the voice chat, especially during these like social distancing days. I haven't, and, and that's I, I. Although some somebody has brought that to my attention recently, that I should try to focus on that a bit. But uh, just to really quickly go back to the Slack point, um, that's a, that's a really good. Um, the way that you described it is a really good uh, way to explain it a little bit further. So Slack, to most people who are familiar with it, um, are familiar with it in the context of a workplace setting. Um, But I would recommend for anyone that has any kind of community, like you said, even if it's a hobby, or um, even if you're, you know, you have a professional network that's outside of your nine to five, you know, um, setting, uh, having a community there, and the main pushback that I get from people who are trying to understand this is, well, what's the difference between that and having like a group chat on messages or having a group me? Yeah. Um, Slack is just something that provides, you know, a number of features that tend to be a bit more robust and it helps keep things organized. And you can also have um, uh, channels within the workspace. So for example, um, and this is a plug slash pro tip at the same time. Um, you can join the UXCU meetup group. You can follow us on Instagram, but you can also join our Slack community. So in our Slack community, you have your little chat profile. Um, and then there's a channel for all of the members so that everyone can have one giant conversation. But then we have sub um, channels uh, within the Slack workspace. So I have a channel for some of my previous classes, some of my previous students. I have channels with specific groups of people who are working on a project. So it really enables creativity and bringing it back to events. Uh, I feel that having a Slack community is a really great foundation to build, you know, any type of, uh, socialization infrastructure on top of. So if you're hosting events, using that as a marketing, you know, channel, um, or using that as a way to get people involved in the planning of your event. Um, so I think that um, having that sort of funnel where you have events and then Slack at the bottom, uh, it's is really is a really effective way of managing your community in terms of, you know, fostering the sense of community. Absolutely. So I mean, 
I use it as well. So I have this, uh, I, I have this meetup uh, for data science and it's, it's grown tremendously through meetup.com. But like, there's this, there's always this question, this nagging question in my mind, which is like, okay, so how do, if people wanted to communicate peer to peer, so like person to person, but the, they're not at the event, right? So if it's a monthly event or a weekly event, and you want to talk to John, but you didn't get John's telephone number. You didn't get, you didn't have the foresight to exchange Instagram, whatever. That's where something like a Slack community can also shine a lot. Cause you can just DM people through Slack. And, and I mean, that's, that's another really, really major appeal that, that I've found personally. Yeah, that's a good point. Especially because one of my, um, you know, one of the things that I'm not uh, a big fan of, of meetups is um, their chat interface is a little wonky. It's not it's not perfect yet. They're not it's a buggy. Buggy. They're buggy. not a platform. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, pushing that over to Slack is a good move. Yeah. Um, one. So there's this other. So you mentioned here that you also work for the Department of New York City Tourism. And that they have this uh, this this effort for virtual events, listing virtual events. Could you maybe talk more about that and how our our listeners might be interested in attending virtual events listed by the Department of Tourism? Yeah. So one of the reasons why I really enjoy what y'all are doing specifically is because, um, and, and as we spoke about before, uh, a huge you know, piece of what it means to be a New Yorker or what it means to experience New York is to go to events. Um, and it's such a big part of, of the city's pulse uh, or one of the biggest things that keeps the city's pulse going. So it's a huge part of our efforts at NYC and Company. So NYC and Company is uh, the official DMO of New York City. So DMO is Domestic Marketing Organization. So basically every city more or less has a DMO uh, an entity that is working with that city's or the city's mayor's office or whatever it may be to help sell um, the city to, you know, the world, but also help people uh, within that city experience the city itself. So uh, for us, what that means is uh, we have a website called nycgold.com and that website is the official guide to New York city. And uh, a part of that website is we have an events platform but uh, most recently, as you noted, uh, we launched uh, a part of that website that is now called uh, Virtual NYC. So you can go to it by going to nycgo.com slash virtual NYC. And we basically created a hub of virtual events, um, more or less. And we categorized them out um, by outdoors and recreation, museums and galleries, attractions and tours. Broadway and other theater and nightlife, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so it's a really uh, seamless experience, at least I'd like to think so. And that is the kind of work that I do tying it back to UX. Um, so yeah. this- I was, I was going to ask, so like, did you design that webpage? What exactly, what exactly did you do related to that project? Yeah, it's, it's a good, you know, f- full circle point. So uh, so basically, uh, working at NYC and company, that's my day job. That's my nine to five. So that's what I dedicate most of the hours in the day to. So, um, uh, from nine to five, I am the UX strategy lead at NYC and company, uh, which basically is, um, a way of saying that I help 
uh, spearhead our uh, user experience design efforts on this official guide, nycgo.com. So uh, in this case, the latest project was this virtual NYC hub. Um, so, you know, thinking about what are the, uh, the ways that a user is going to experience this page and how can we organize this page and how can we break things out? Um, was, that, was that catalyzed by Corona or is that something that was already in the backlog and just happened to roll out recently? It was definitely something that was uh, inspired by everything that's happening and okay. by how we can help people continue to experience New York City uh, you know, while all of this is happening. And it kind of goes back to the points that we've been making throughout this conversation about events and, you know, how we can uh, continue to push people to experience New York City, even from their homes. So, yeah, it's something that definitely came about because of everything that's happening. But the cool thing about this is that we're seeing that this can be something that is of value beyond COVID-19. So even when things go back to you know, uh, normal in quotes or a form of normal. Um, should we be able to go back to some form of normal? Um, uh, the great thing is that I think that all of this virtualness is uh, inspiring uh, the ability to do more virtual uh, things. And uh, I really believe that and from the conversations that we're having internally, I really believe that this platform will continue beyond COVID-19 um, and people will have, you know, the uh, greater appetite to experience things virtually because now they can more than they ever could before. Yeah, I think that's really exciting. So, I mean, for me, so people that don't know, I'm, I'm a software engineer and I consider myself a technologist. So I really nerd out about what technology could be and what should it be. And, you know, uh, I don't think anyone would disagree with the the sentiment that technology should make our lives better or make us happier if possible. And when, when I think about things like, like this virtual NYC directory or listing, it's sort of like a, like a why not, right? So like it doesn't cost much to keep it up there. It seems like the effort is is like we have to do it. Right. So at some point someone has to decide, hey, let's let's do this and like let's launch it. And uh and and so then we and it's already been it's already been launched and really it can just just be there and if people want to use it, great. If if it falls out of fashion, then so be it. But that's that's what really excites me about technology is that it's sort of it's just sort of set it and forget it. Um and then as long as it's it's there, if someone comes along and wants to use it, then they should be able to to use it. So that's um, I'm really happy that that's that's out. I actually need to check it out myself and give you my thoughts on it. Yeah, and 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 the cool thing about that is just to vibe off of what you said for a second. So um, in a way, this is another way that we can sell New York City to the world. So before, you know, really, you had to come here. Um, to experience, you know, NYC to that extent. And now you could experience New York City, you know, from whatever country you're, you're, you're at. And, and that could serve as an inspiration to get you to come here, obviously, later down the line. So, um, but also, I, I wasn't entirely uh, aware that you were a software engineer. So we might have to, we might have to build something together. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the lead engineer and, and lead marketer for Lit. So... <laughs> 
Nice. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So let's see. Uh, I think we touched on plenty of things. Uh, when people, so for for the people listening, if they want to register for your events, uh, where should they go and how can people reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. So if you want to join uh, the UX Come Up, uh, or if you're interested in UX, if you want to learn more about UX in general, uh, definitely uh, follow us on Instagram first. So Instagram.com slash UX Come Up or at UX Come Up. Uh, that was the first time I've ever said the URL for an Instagram account of mine. I don't know why I did that. HTTPS. <laughs> yes, uh, for slash forward slash www. Um, uh, but if you want to join our events, you would go to meetup.com slash UX come up. In that case, that makes sense. Um, and uh, if you want to continue the conversation for any of the things that I talked about, if you're interested about UX, you want to talk to me about you know whether it's a good fit for you, um, you can reach out to me personally on my Instagram page at Miguel makes. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for, thanks for taking time to be on the show and thanks for speaking to our audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. And, uh, I love what y'all are doing. So kudos to y'all. Thank you so much, man. <laughs>